You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, good morning. I was so busy meeting and greeting that all of a sudden I realized, hey, you know what, I'm on. Um, I want want to share something briefly with you, but I have to be so careful of my time. Any of you in here ever be in, have ever been in total darkness? Isn't it an odd feeling? I'm telling you what, we were in Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, Laurelie and I, and they, we were touring, and it took us all, it kept going down and down and down, saw so lag tides and stalagmites and rivers, and then they had to sit down, and they said, now, don't get up and don't move around, it's too dangerous, because we're going to turn all the lights out. And boy, did they ever turn all the lights out. And boy, was it ever dark. You could not see your hand in front of your face or anything else. And it would have been dangerous to get up and move around. Well, we're going to be talking about darkness and light today. But a different kind. We're going to be talking about spiritual um, darkness and spiritual light. And we're in our summer series, our mini-series, a topical series on Behold. And last week, um, those of you who weren't here, you missed an incredible blessing. Our pastor brought a passionate message on Behold the Son, out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to get a CD. It was absolutely outstanding. And I have the privilege today of speaking to you. My name is Richard Horn, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, I'm involved in the prayer ministry here at the church, along with Dean and many other uh, godly people that find the time to go in and pray. And we normally, uh, we pray from 8 to 9 and then from 9 to 10. And um, as well as on Tuesday evenings as well. Well, today we're going to be looking at Jesus' claim to be the light of the world, which is perfect in God's timing because it wasn't set up this way originally by Justin months ago for the summer series that we would be talking about light just before Vacation Bible School, which is all about light and darkness starting tomorrow. And so that's terrific. Now, also, there was a communication glitch that my outline for the, for the screen... Uh, is not going to be up there today, nor are the verses. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles. If you need a Bible, then raise your hand. Our ushers will give you one. I'll give you the verses in advance. You turn there because they're not going to be on the screen. It's just one that happens sometimes in the summertime. But turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we're just going to be looking at verse 12 to start with this morning. And I also want to warn you now to stay in John chapter 8 when I have you then after for the next one to go to John chapter 1. But keep it in John chapter 8 because we are coming back to that one. So if you need a Bible, raise your hands and ushers will uh, give you a Bible. John chapter 8, verse 12. And verse 12 gives us a natural outline for uh, the message this morning and we will be following it today. So John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke these words. And again, he said to them, making this dramatic statement, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And that's going to be part one. We're going to be looking at, and from the word of God, what it means for Jesus to state that he is the light of the world. Quite a dramatic statement. That's part one. Second part of the message, he who follows me, she, whomever follows me, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, what is the light of life? And how do you know if you have it? These are kind of important things, wouldn't you say? So in order to um, prepare our hearts, and that's part two, prepare our hearts for today's message, would you bow with me in prayer? 
Our Father and our God, here we are standing in light in this um, cave for the young people to enjoy uh, their time of VBS coming up this week. All down through the hall and all the classroom, it's decorated for a cave scene and to, in order for the light to come shining into these young people's hearts and minds. But Father, here we're here this morning in this sanctuary, and here we are, Lord, to hear from you. And so, Father, we ask you to give us ears to hear, for the Lord Jesus constantly talked about in the gospel, you who have ears to hear, let them hear, and also eyes to see. But we're talking about spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. And obviously, Lord, uh, for hearts to respond to your word today, many in here are suffering, going through a lot of challenges and difficulties in their life. But Father, the circumstances and situation may not change hearing this message, but may their focus be back on you and leave here with your um, word and will in their heart in order for them to live victorious over whatever is happening in their lives. You are God and you are good and you're good all the time. And we're looking to you to see what you're going to speak to and in our hearts this day. And we give the praise and the glory for what you're going to do in advance through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Now, we are actually at a great disadvantage. Most of us, in fact, probably every Gentile is at a great disadvantage when we read the Gospels. And the reason is most of us do not have the background necessary to truly understand this dramatic statement that Jesus is making in this discourse in John chapter 8. For instance, on the evening of the first day of the festival of feast, called, um, also called booths, as well as tabernacles, they had three feasts, that, um, celebrations they had all year long, and this one was in the fall of the year after the harvest. And um, it took place um, in the um, court of the women, which was part of the temple, where Jesus is teaching in both John chapter 8 and John chapter 7, to John 7 and chap chapter 8. But at the beginning of this, this week long, and, and of booths and tabernacles, they, they didn't live in their house for a whole week. They would build little buildings on top of their house if they had that sort of thing. Or out somewhere, they would get all sorts of things to put it. And they, they camped out for a week. They, they didn't stay in their own houses. And it was really quite fascinating and interesting for them to do that. Well, they had this ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. And it took place also in the Court of the Women. And when it would get dark, these four great candelabras that were in the court of the women would be lit and it would send out such a blaze of fire that that time, the size of Jerusalem, every courtyard would be illuminated by its brilliance. And so Jesus is going to use this light when it got dark in order to talk to them about who he is and for the claim that he's about to make. Now, if you're knowledgeable and you know your Old Testament, you know that this magnificent light that they were seeing was a reminder of God's pillar of fire that both guided and, and directed and protected Israel in their wilderness journey when God took them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land through Moses as their leader. But I want you to stop and think for a moment about the statement that Jesus made. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, that's an astounding statement. And in your outline, we see that his claim was exclusive. It is exclusive. It's one that only God can make. Who else could say that, that he's the light of the world unless he didn't have everything upstairs that he needs to have? You can't be the light of the world unless you're God. 
And so only God can make that, that claim. However, even though his claim is exclusive, friends, the offer is inclusive. And everyone that wants to have this light within them can come to Jesus and they can have this light. Now I want you to keep your places here in John chapter 8. Remember we're coming back. And just flip over seven chapters to your left to John chapter 1 verse 1 as we then begin to get some insight to his claim of being the light of the world. So this is going to also set the stage for the conflict that he will have and is having with the religious leaders of that day because we're only going to be looking at verse 12 and then we're going to jump a little bit later on to all the way to verse 42. And so all of that time he's been having this discourse, this dialogue, this discussion, in fact, this downright dogfight with the religious leaders of his day. So John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now watch the change here. It goes from the word to he. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Now this is Jesus Christ that they're speaking of here and now we're beginning to understand how he could say I am the light of the world. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, very quickly, keeping your finger in John 8, very quickly go to Ephesians chapter 2. For there we're going to understand what true spiritual darkness is. Because that's what we're talking about today. Not physical darkness, not being blind physically, but spiritual darkness. So in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, ESV, because it'll give a freshness to many of us that are familiar with our own particular types of Bibles that sometimes it loses its freshness. We're so familiar with a particular portion of Scripture. And Paul is the author of Ephesians, and he's talking to both Jew and Gentile or Christians in a church setting. And he says, and you were dead. Now I want to talk about death for a moment. We're not talking about physical death here, because when you talk about physical death, the body dies. We, most of us have been to a funeral. The body dies, the spirit and the soul live on, and the body's put in the ground. That is separation. Death is not annihilation, death is separation. And here Paul is saying we're separated from God because of sin. So we're talking about spiritual death here. And if a man or a woman or a young man or a young person stays in this, this state continuously by rejecting Jesus Christ, spiritual death becomes the second death. And the second death is eternal separation from God. You find that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. So listen now to Paul's words. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following, and here's the three enemies of the child of God, found in these two verses right here, the child of God. You have the world system we live in is your enemy. If you haven't discovered that, you will. You also will discover that your flesh is your enemy. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So you will fight your flesh 
till the last breath you take. I'm 78 years old and I'm still fighting the battle with my flesh to try and bring it into subjection. And the last enemy that God has ordained we would have is the enemy of our soul and that's Satan himself. Now why do you think God has us Christians have three enemies? Well the answer is really quite simple. So we'll be dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit by abiding in Christ and resting in Him and living the victorious Christian life through the energy and power of the indwelling Spirit of the living God within us. We cannot fight any of those enemies and succeed in our flesh. So he says, You were dead in trespasses and sin where once you walked following, number one, the course of this world, Number two, following the prince and power of the air, the devil, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. And number three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by very nature children of wrath. You see, there's children of God and there's children of wrath. And you go from a child of wrath, which were all born as children of wrath, into the family of God through the new birth. Now, this spiritual condition, every human being that has ever been born from Adam and Eve are born this way. Adam and Eve were created. They sinned, as we know, and they fell, and they died spiritually. There was a spiritual separation between them and God. And then the first child they had was Cain, was he not? And Cain did what? He killed his brother Abel, the second child that was born. So we know where all of this came from. It didn't come from God, it came from Satan. Now these Jewish religious leaders could trace their lineage back to Abraham because they were God's chosen people, the Jewish people. But their true lineage goes all the way back to the devil himself. You see, the serpent of old enticed mankind away from the truth of God with a seductive fruit of the lie. They bought into the lie, and we suffered ever since. Now, with that background, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up in verse 42. Like I'd mentioned, he's been, he's been having it out with these Jewish leaders from verses 11, uh, 12 right on up through verse 41. And then verse 42 going to be reading, excuse me, from the New Living Translation to bring a freshness here as well. Jesus told them, primarily the Pharisees here, told them, if you, um, if God were your father, right, if God were your father, you would love me. I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own. But he, God, sent me to you. And then he asked a rhetorical question. We know what a rhetorical question is. That means you ask a question, but you're not looking for anybody to answer you, are you? You're going to give them the answer. You're just giving them a rhetorical question. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying to these people. And it's because you can't hear me. Now, they weren't deaf physically. They were what? They were deaf spiritually, because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And, and why could they not hear him? And here Jesus really I mean, gets right down to the point, friends. For you are the children of your father, who? 
the devil. Now, can you imagine God's chosen people, the religious leaders of that day, and Jesus is calling a spade a spade, and he's saying, you are of your father, not of God, but of the devil. He did not take the course of how to influence people, did he? He just called called it the way it was. And he goes on and says, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and you love to do murder from the beginning, and he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, You just naturally don't believe me. And then he makes this amazing, astounding uh, statement or question again that just proves who he is as God. He says, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? None of us in here can do that, can we? Nor can any other person born in the earth. Only God could make that claim. And that's an amazing thing. And then he says, since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Let's stop and think for a moment. Head knowledge is absolutely essential to become a Christian. You have to know who Jesus Christ is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have to have head knowledge. But the difference between heaven and hell is the 18 inches between the head and the heart. It's always a heart issue. It is not just a head issue. You can know all about the the Bible. Those religious leaders knew all about the Old Testament. And yet, they couldn't even see God in front of them. In fact, they were uh, coming up against him. I understand this fully. For 31 years, I thought I was a Christian. And God just took mercy on me. I was going to church and I thought I was a Christian. And doing all, trying to live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. And I just, don't try it. Doesn't work. And, and God finally took mercy on me. And he, he brought me under conviction. And being such a hard head, it took a year. So I was under conviction for a whole year. Finally saw my condition. And I humbled myself. And I became a Christian when I invited the gift of eternal life into my heart at 32 years old. So the question this morning for all of us is, do you belong to God? Have you received the gift of eternal life that God offers through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, shed his blood to wash your sins away? Have you received him into your life? And is he your Lord and your Savior? You see, you can have that assurance. You can know that you're a child of God. And if you are unsure and you're not and you want to talk to somebody like that, please talk to myself after the service, talk to an elder, talk to these godly women. We want to help you on your journey to become a child of God. Uh, You don't want to die in your sins. Now, let's invest the remainder of our our time this morning by looking into what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 8, verse 12, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, what is the light of life? And how do you know you have it? And I'm going to give you two scriptures. And you want to jot those down real quick. They might, they might be in your outline. I don't remember. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where I want you to turn to right now. We're just going to look at two verses, verses 6 and 7. And then following that will be Ephesians chapter 5. And then we'll be looking at, at uh, verse 8. I'll, I'll share that with you in a minute. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul explains what the light of life is. And he says in verse 6, we're really going to emphasize verse 7, but verse 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light to shine in our hearts. So we could know, not be concerned, but know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our power, that means to live the victorious Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit, is not, with, is not within ourselves. It's because of God indwelling us. This power is from God, he says, and not of yourselves. Now the difference between religion that the Pharisees had, and I had for 31 years, and Christianity which the child of God has, is God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling the person. That's what makes a person a Christian. It isn't trying to live a good enough life. You can't. It isn't trying to do enough good things. You can't. And none of this sort of thing. It is a relationship of understanding our condition and knowing we need a Savior and embracing upon that. Now Ephesians chapter 5 Verses 8 and 10, New Living Translation also, tells us how we are to live. Because we want to know how to live as God's children and not live according to the flesh in the way we have in the past. And verse 8 says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Now, I'm at the heart of the message here this morning, and I really would like you to focus in on what we're going to be looking at. Because you see, we just saw up there that uh, we have, we're fragile clay jars, and we are. We're fragile as human beings. You see, when a crisis strikes in your life, in my life, and many of us will have many of them in our life, but primarily I'm thinking of the first one as a child of God. When a crisis strikes, what's on the inside naturally reveals itself, does it not? You see, when our fragile clay pots are cracked, will light shine through? Well, I'm going to use a story this morning that I heard from Dr. David Jeremiah on Turning Point. It was actually July the 5th of this year, and he was sharing a story from Campus Life magazine. And I was driving around the car, and I heard that, and I thought, oh my goodness, 
this is ideal for what I'm for the message I'm preparing because it gives us the insight that I think is so helpful with it with a genuine with a true story. Now it happened to eleventh grade teenage girl named Shannon Eldridge. And it gives us an example of God shining his light light through his children in the midst of, of dramatic crises that happen in our lives. Now, now, now teenagers, all teenagers, think they're invincible, right? I, I, mean, I mean, we're invincible. I mean, as a kid, I, I jumped off things I should have never jumped off of, and now I'm kind of, <laughs> my bones are aching to some of the crazy stuff we did. But kids just think they're invincible. And so here she was, driving down a country road. I mean, she's, she's in the 11th grade. She hadn't been driving very long. And so she's trying to apply lipstick as she's bouncing down the car on this, on this road. And, and so she's trying to look down and she looks up like that. Well, 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 I mean, it's just typical of what, what a teenager would do. But if they thought something would happen, they wouldn't have done it. But unfortunately for her, she struck and killed a bicyclist. A woman who was out on her exercise. Now stop and think about. This hit her like a brick wall. Everything's going fine. You're, you're finally able to drive and you're going down country road and you're trying to put a little lipstick on and you, you, you take your eyes off the road just for a moment and you kill someone accidentally. And her life now is turned upside down and turned inside out. I mean, now she is faced with vehicular manslaughter. Now she, she is, someone's life is gone because of her just not paying attention, just being a typical teenager. She, she's devastated. She can't pour the milk back into the bottle. It's gone, and she's got to live with the consequences. You see, we can pick our actions, but we can't pick the consequences. If we could, half of the stuff we do, maybe, especially as young people, we wouldn't do. Well, what happened next defies all, common lo- all logic and common sense. Unless, of course, you take God seriously and do what God would expect us to do and not do what the world would expect us to do. So I'm going to do something a little different in this message. I haven't done this before. I'm going to say, all of you husbands, all of you husbands, try to put yourself in the shoes of the husband when the police come knocking on the door and say your, life, your wife has been killed in an accident by a teenage girl. I mean, you kissed her goodbye, she's gone, like she goes on a rise to get her exercise, and you never know that she's not going to come back. She's, she's gone. She's dead. What would you think? How would you act? What would you, I realize you can't do it, but try to put yourself in the place of that person. Now, teenagers... Put yourself behind the wheel of the car. And and see what you would think and how you would act if you were the one driving that car and accidentally killed someone. I mean, these are life-changing events. Can you imagine what she was feeling? Her life is, is changed forever. His life is changed forever. And so she can't take it back. She can't make it right. I mean, I mean she's, she's got all of this going on in her mind. The husband, when he heard the news, was understandably shocked. 
and stunned by the events. But what he did next was he, he's living out what Jesus' followers should do. He said, how's the girl? Is she all right? Was she hurt? The night before the funeral, the next day, this teenage girl in the 11th grade forced herself to go against everything that was within her to go see the grieving husband the night before the funeral. Can you imagine the fear that she had to overcome? Can you imagine what was, what was within her? How, how, what's he going to Will he even see me? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Will he even see me at all? I don't want to go. I've got to go. I did this. And all of this, all of this fear and this anxiety and this stress just, just pouring in her. And yet she mustered up enough courage to go and she knocked on the door and someone came to the door and they invited her in. She stood frozen in the doorway and then they went to tell the husband that the teenager was here. And he came down the hall, big, burly, middle-aged man walking towards her. And yet she noticed he wasn't walking towards her with animosity. He was walking towards her with his arms extended out to receive her. His name was Jerry Jouster, a Wycliffe Bible translator. She just collapsed in his arms. She dissolved in tears, weeping bitterly and repeating over and over and over again, I am so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. She continued to say that. He continued to try and bring her comfort and to, and to, and to help her. And after a while, he said, let's, come and, let's just come and sit down and let's talk for a minute. He spoke to her about the life and legacy of his beloved. He told passionately, how passionately, that she loved Jesus and others. And then he did something wonderful for her. He says, I'm passing on her legacy to you. I want you to love Jesus without limits like Marjorie did. You talk about lifting the weight. You're talking about turning this teenager's life right side up again. You talk about the love of God being poured out in a situation where both were grieving this horrible crisis. And now she gets life poured back into her. Light coming from this husband that is filled with grief and filled with loss. And yet he, he, he said this. He further encouraged her by saying, God wants to change you through this, to strengthen you through this. Stop and think about it. This could not have happened had he not been that kind of a Christian. And she mustered up the courage to go there and to be able to share that with him and, and, and to find resolution and, and to find the love of God. If she hadn't been that brave, it would have never happened. But she did. And he did. Jerry insisted 
that all charges be dropped against her and insisted until they dropped them. That would have never happened. He continued to look on her, in on her to see if she was all right for months and years to come. She writes this and then we're through with this story and we'll move on. She said, my encounter with Jerry Jouster that night before the funeral changed my life forever. But this time for the good. His compassionate words of forgiveness would be my source of strength and encouragement for many, many years to come. The logic of this behavior is not found in the world. It's found in the Word of God. You find this type of love and forgiveness in the person and in the work of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Human nature says, look inwardly and think only of your own loss and focus your own grief, focusing on your own grieving. The Spirit of God tells us to, to look outward, grieve, yes, but to look outward and become more loving and become more forgiving, including forgiving yourself. Shannon had to forgive herself to go forward, did she not? You see, children of life, we live by a different standard. The standard is God and His Word and the power of God within us. We become lights in a dark world. Warren Wiersbe, I love Warren Wiersbe. Uh, I, I learned so much from this man of God. He writes, the light produces goodness. One manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Goodness is love in action. And then he says, righteousness means rightness of character before God and rightness of actions before men. Both of these qualities are based on truth which is the conformity to the will and to the word of God. We learn to be more like Jesus as we're into the word and living life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it works. Let me give you a couple of kingdom principles to guide us as to how to live, and then we'll um, wrap it up. You see, the one and others in the Word of God are phenomenal. They're so helpful. You know, just right into, there's many, many of them. Loving one another, uh, getting our eyes off of ourselves, and uh, that self-pity, uh, grieve, yes, but don't stay there, and getting the one and other. That's the better way to live. It is the difference Christ makes in the children of light. Let's look at two principles as to how to live as children of life, and I'll bring this message to a conclusion. Number one, to live as children of life, means to live before the eyes of God with nothing between our heart and God's. Paul Nur, a friend of mine, um, writes this email daily devotion. And I want to quote from his June 16th entry, just a little of it. He says, the eyes of your soul. He said, your eyes, physically speaking, your eyes are used for taking in light and are, only, and, are, and are the only lamp of the lens of the body. 
But we have another eye, he says. The heart is the eye of the soul, where the lighting of every spiritual experience shines. It is through our hearts that God's truth, love, peace, and every spiritual blessing come to us. When our hearts are clean, our lives are filled with light. If our hearts are dirty and filthy, no light can come in. He finishes by saying, I desire to have a clean, clear eye through single-minded devotion. That's where the power is. When we sin, not if, when we sin, keep short accounts. With heartfelt confession, acknowledge your sin and move on. 1 John 1, nine. We all know it's relatively easy to hide things from other people, loved ones included, because no one can see our hearts and our minds. But nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Number two. Living as Christians of life also means revealing God's light to the lost. If you're a child of God in here this morning, it's because someone told you about Jesus Christ. Revealing the light to the lost. We know that the minds of the unsaved person is blinded by Satan. Scripture makes that very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And blinded by sin in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. Only as we witness and share Jesus Christ can the light of the gospel penetrate their spiritual darkness. It's the word of God that penetrates the darkness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit himself. That will bring salvation to those who are open and receiving it as the Holy Spirit reveals it. And they are spiritually born from above. And that's what happened to me on June 10th, 1970. Admiral Benbow in Jackson, Mississippi, around 10 to 11 at night. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm still excited about that. You see, by our character and by our conduct, we are to shine God's light into our dark world that we are living in. We won't get in any other way. As God's light, as God's lights, we, as God's lights, we help others find their way out of darkness and into God's spiritual family as we share the good news. One final scripture, and then we'll close in prayer. First Peter, chapter 2, just two verses, 8 and 9, very familiar portion of scripture. But you, children of God, are a chosen people. You are royal, you are a royal priesthood. Like it or not, came with a territory. A holy nation. You see, our home is in heaven. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims passing through. His own special people. 
that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were, not, who were once not a people of God, but now are now a people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. It's God's gift to us. Let's give the gift away so others can get to know the same loving God that we do. You see, we are in the world, but we are called not to be of the world as we well know. As our world grows darker, the children of light should grow brighter by contrast and be a beacon of hope to lost people so that they can be led to God as we have been by lighting their path with the good news they can come out of darkness and into God's marvelous light too. Would you bow in prayer with me? Our Father and our God this morning, as we've taken a look at Jesus' incredible claim to be the light of the world, and then the awareness that he's not gone back to heaven and we are to be his representatives as, as my friend Brother Dean says, Christians. And with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ within us in the Holy Spirit, when the crises come, Lord, we pray that light would shine through us. And that, Lord, we also would be open and receptive to be clean and pure before you and also to be used of you to take the good news, the glorious gospel to those who are lost and to see the word of God being used by the Holy Spirit to open up their spiritual blindness and for them to come to know you also as we have. So Father, I pray this day that Father, as people search their hearts and see where they're at and in their relationship with you, if there's any here, Lord, that needs to talk with someone in order to get on that, that path, maybe uh, to talk to someone about the journey to, into uh, Christ um, himself. But Lord, whatever the, the situation and the, is today, as we open up our time now for uh, a quiet time of reflection and prayer, may those who maybe have a need on some other issue as well come to those that will be standing up front that wants to pray with them and for them. And may you receive the glory and may your children walk out of here today with a renewed commitment to be lights in this dark world. And we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.